Hello, hello, and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B., joined by Jacob. Hello. And today, we're going to be doing sort of a follow-up to our previous week's episode. We're going to be talking about small games, stocking stuffer type games from the year 2017 that we think are going to make great gifts. But first, we talk about what we've been playing. So we just got finished uh, working on a continuation of our Seventh Continent game. Right, yeah. Got finished is a little bit of a a misnomer, I feel like. We, we saved the game. We suspended progress to which we will return at a later time. Yeah, and this is the second time we're saving the game, as they call it. Yep. So, I mean, this is not a short game. Yeah, for sure. Which we found out after our short game. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's only short if you suck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's still really quite enjoyable. I mean, we played for about two and a half hours today. Yeah, about that. And we played, I think, for about four, three or four hours the last time. So we're already like five-ish hours, five and a half hours in. Yeah. And hell, we have no idea where the end is. Yeah, we have really no idea what we're doing. Yeah. I don't think we understand more or less the mechanics of the game, but in terms of sort of the, the progression and moving in the direction of a goal, we still only have a very vague sense, which is, I think, by design. I think so. The game really wants you to feel like a mystery that you're progressing through. The problem is we're just progressing through it falteringly and slowly and with difficulty. I also think that the fact that it took us literally like three, four months to get back to it True, is a problem with that because, I mean, I, I think had we continued, let's say, the week after we did the first session, it would have been a lot different in terms of gameplay than it is after that much time. Yeah. Because, think... like, we had to remember how to do everything. You were, like, you kept your nose in, in the, the rule book quite a bit. I did. I was personally extremely distracted trying to get other setups going like while we were playing which i finally got set up right as we finished and that's why you didn't have a stream of the game this time but i think i I still really like the story behind the game and like the fact that you have all these curses and you're still trying to like go through and look for certain things and it just still is a very very interesting game i do think all of this is both sort of a a negative and a positive negative from the perspective of you know it it can take a lot it takes a lot of effort and if you don't sort of stay on top of it you kind of you lose those skills but a positive from the the fact that you know you mentioned we've been playing this particular save file for about five five and a half hours cumulative now i don't know what percentage of the way we are through it i would venture maybe half That might be optimistic, but I would venture we're about halfway through, and that's only one of the four curses that come in the base game, not to mention the two or three... Two expansions that I currently have. Yeah. Plus, there's going to be the expanded contact that comes out next year, including another one expansion plus the big expansion, as well as two big expansions and one micro expansion that I didn't get for the base game. Right. So we're basically halfway between what represents only a quarter to a tenth of the total game content, which is really just hugely impressive. Yeah. Um, it's, it's just also very intimidating. Exactly. The, this game is not a game that I would think that we would be able to actually finish everything within a reasonable amount of time. 
I think it's really like one of those games that's going to take a long time to get through. Yeah, I think we could probably retool the podcast to be a let's watch these two nerds play Seventh Continent, and that would last us easily like six months. Oh yeah, for sure. Like if that was just the stream that we did every week, like uh, some Seventh Continent, two or three hours, it would take us like a better part of a year. Yeah, we'll probably won't do that, but we will <laughs> still probably be playing Seventh Continent on the stream because it is still extremely entertaining like you know am i gonna stick these glasses with these gems and then like yeah add like this necklace off of these glasses and that kind of stuff or what is it the the shovel and the bow that we had at one point yeah there is a lot of accidental entertainment value from the way you can combine items yeah or like you know you open the pot gently with a club and then <laughs> the, the uh the scorpions sting you because of that yeah yeah but it is a good game and we had a frustratingly fun time yeah exactly uh, which i mean is par for the course for a lot of uh co-ops it's true it's true they just you know the difficulty curve is very present in this one and mm -hmm. and that's good you know we've talked before about how if a co-op game is too easy then it's it's really you know why bother exactly um, exactly and i think they maybe went a little too far with this one but it's still a compelling challenge and i'm i'm glad that we're continuing our progress on this game yeah i'm looking forward to seeing how it ends up and just how the game itself turns out another game that's actually along the lines of the, this is one that i watched some people get frustrated with this weekend called spirit island oh yeah you were telling me about this yeah so uh, i was watching these people play spirit island at labyrinth it was their anniversary seventh anniversary so they've been open for seven years Definitely the best board game store in D.C. Well, the and only board game store in D.C. Yes, in, in D.C. proper. But even like the ones around it, like I stopped by some of them, but Labyrinth is far and away the best. And it's one of the best board game stores that I've been to, period. Right. So love going there. Went there. I just was hanging out, watched some people play this game, and met a few of my friends there. And they were saying that this was one of their absolute favorite co-op games. And as they were saying, it is brutally difficult yeah, and pretty complicated. And so I just thought that is right up our alley. It is. Unfortunately, this is the alley we have created for ourselves. Yeah, we just seem to really, really enjoy difficult, complicated, cooperative games. And I mean, you know, gotta love them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because otherwise we'd cry. Yeah, pretty much. It's one of those. But yeah, so I, I'm really looking forward to They have the game, so I'm hoping to get them over and, and play the four of us. I think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah, sounds like. So I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that, uh, even though I didn't really get to play. Yeah, but that's, I think, about all the board games we've been playing lately. I have had a little bit of opportunity to do some more role-playing. There was some more Call of Cthulhu, or excuse me, Delta Green shenanigans, chicanery. We ended up in a university office ambushed by ninjas as we were trying to sell, identify, sword, a Japanese sword. The uh, entire encounter was apparently, according to the, the Game Master, completely improvised. This was sort of like a downtime thing that we decided to pursue, and then he was like, oh, crap, now I got to do this. So it was extremely goofy. Uh, it was fun in that, you know, we had a goofy fight with some ninjas. It was less fun in the fact that we got kicked in the face a whole bunch and a bomb went off, but... Um, you know, yeah, that doesn't sound that much fun, like a bomb going off after getting kicked in the face or vice versa. It's not a lot <laughs> right. of fun. Yeah, but you know, that's, that's just a day in the life of Delta Green. But so, uh, that was, that was pretty goofy. And then I'm gearing up for, uh, another campaign 
that at the time this episode is released will have started yesterday. But for now, it's still in the planning phases. A friend of mine is running the Emerald Spire Super Dungeon, which is, from what I gather, pretty freaking cool. It takes you from level 1 to 13. I don't know how many floors the dungeon itself is. Mm -hmm. But each floor is designed by a different sort of personality, a different writer who's in the, the RPG writing scene. It's Pathfinder system. And so kind of getting really into that crunchy, numbers-heavy, kick-in-the-door, beat-em-up type gameplay, which is uh, something that I haven't had an opportunity to avail myself of lately. So I'm super excited about that. I'm playing a monk who just hits things really hard and really fast. I'm a a one-trick pony, except for I have this, like, mule on the side whereby I'm good at perception. Okay. Should be a lot of fun. I'll hopefully bring you updates from that. And uh, yeah, that's what I have been playing or will be. And as for me, my RPG pool is a little bit drier lately. Hopefully to be changing, but uh, we shall see. Sad day. Yeah. But yes, there you have it. That's a look at what we've been playing. Alrighty then. Now it's time for our small box gift giving extravaganza list show kind of thing. Other adjectives, you know the drill. Yes, pretty much. So we will be talking about the small games that uh, we think are great for stocking stuffers for just the smaller kind of gift giving that you would be doing in this holiday season. And as we did with the big box games, we're going to do the the small box games that we recommend. This time we're doing three instead of five. Then we're going to say the wish list game that we have or the wish game. And then one expansion, also for small box games. We're going to also talk a little bit after that about more expansions. We are expanding our expansion section. What um, Tish? Because there were just so many good expansions that came out this year, it was not fair for us to choose only two to highlight. So we're going to do the same thing. Each of us is going to choose two. And then we're also going to choose one that we really want to play. Of course, all of these will be available at your friendly local gaming stores currently so or within the next week or so right so without further ado let's talk about number three what's your number three for the small games greg so number three on my list is vi this Mm -hmm. is a game that we've talked about before it's a game that we played extensively at washington this year and also just kind of kicking around the apartment it's a territory control game that is card based you have cards that represent different types of terrain and When you place a terrain tile, you get to claim it. The trick being, if you place it adjacent to other terrain of the same type, you also get to claim those, even if you don't already control them. So there's some placement mechanics. There's also some sort of unique family cards in the base game, and then also uh, special cards that you can add that have unique one-time effects. And they really create an interesting, compelling territory control system that I think borrows a lot from sort of the fundamentals of that genre. You know, it shares a lot of the really classical kind of cornering aspects of Go, yeah. but with just a little bit more specificity, and the art is absolutely gorgeous. That is definitely a very good game. As for me, I'm going to go for Go Nuts for Donuts. So this is a game that we have also talked about quite a bit. And it's a game that's a lot of times sold in the children's section of uh, game stores. 
And though I understand why, because it is a very simple game, I think this is a game that anyone can enjoy. Absolutely. It is a very quick kind of game. You are doing some set collecting. It's similar to Sushi Go, except instead of drafting, you're doing the whole auctioning kind of thing. And I just love the aspect of you having to choose one number. And if you choose that number and someone else does as well, that card just gets discarded. Mm -hmm. So this can be used very strategically, both offensively and defensively. Like, you know, I can see that Greg really wants that eclair, but uh, I'm not going to give it to him, so I'm going to choose taking that eclair as well. That's fine. I wanted the cinnamon twist anyway. Boom, head games. There we go. There we go. And the artwork on this one is extremely adorable. I mean, you've got little donuts with faces on them, and it plays, I think, what is it, two to five or two, two to, to six? Two I'm to pretty six. Sure. So, I mean, it's very versatile, and setting up for any of those numbers of players is really easy, and it's just such a fun little game. Very light, very fun, and highly recommended by me. Highly recommended by me as well. So highly recommended, in fact, that it is my number two selection for a small box gift this holiday season. Everything that Jacob just mentioned, it's adorable. It's fast, it's easy to pick up and play, and it also gives you a little bit of that kind of get-in-each-other's-heads For sure. element, yeah, yeah. Uh, kind of a, a social deduction light, almost, mm-hmm. um, exactly. that just rounds out the gameplay and I think makes it a lot of fun. Especially with like donuts, like the Boston Cream, that is like if you have every other one is the one that actually gets you more points. Right, or yeah. You, it blanks if you if you have a, what is it, an odd number of them. Yeah, I think that's that's right. And, and so the the sets that you can actually collect are really um, diverse. You know, it's not just as simple as okay, well, more means more points. It is that a lot of times, but there's also unique sort of permutations of that, and it I think well designed overall. Yeah, I completely agree. And your number two. So my number two is actually a game that technically came out in the States this year. That It was out in Europe a little bit earlier, and again, squeaks in on technicality, because <laughs> apparently I like these. You uh, do, you so do. So it's 10 Minutes to Kill. And 10 Minutes to Kill is a game that I know a lot of people, when they first would look at it, wouldn't give it a chance. And I'm here putting it at number two because I think it deserves that chance. Like, it is a very, very enjoyable small box game. Everyone that I have played it with so far has enjoyed it. Like, as soon as, you know, we set it up and showed them how to play, it's really quick, really easy, and also has that little bit of head game, social deduction, trying to figure out who is who, like, based on how they're moving and, like, where they are on the map, who died and all that, and moving your police officer into different places. It's got enough of that strategic kind of gameplay that I think it's a lot of fun for just about everyone. And I just highly recommend getting it and giving it as a gift to someone. It's probably not something that they would have picked up themselves, but I think once they actually play it, they will really enjoy it. Yeah, I agree. It's one that you really have to read, you know, past the cover on the gameplay is really solid, really interesting, and not something that I personally play a lot. I don't know if it's just the fact that that's the not a particular type of game that I'm usually 
playing or if it is actually uncommon. But it's a very unique, very fun, and very quick game. Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, it's pretty much a hidden movement game where you have your characters who are trying to kill certain targets. And you're just doing the movement. You can move any piece on the board. It doesn't matter whether it's yours, someone else's, anything like that. Just move them around as like this real controlled chaos, which I think is a lot of fun. And just trying to figure out like who would move what and why is, right. is the real gem part of this game. For sure. All right. So taking a break from our numbered lists, let's talk about expansions. Personally, I think Beyond the Black gets the nomination and not just because it's the only small box expansion that I know of that exists much less that came out this year but also because it's a phenomenal game tiny epic galaxies is already one of my favorite games in the tiny epic series i think it's one of the most solidly designed beyond the black just ratchets that up it adds new mechanics it adds you know unique ships which are not just powerful and interesting but also super cool looking like the little the little wooden tokens that represent them are really awesome the ability to sort of explore uncharted space adds, I mean, essentially alternate victory conditions, you know, because yeah, you, you get huge numbers of points for sort of the set collection of symbols that come from unexplored space cards, but it also carries some risk with it. And I think it just very similar to what we talked about last week with Between Two Cities Capitals. I think Beyond the Black does that same thing for Tiny Epic Galaxies. It adds so many different mechanics and it really just pushes the game to a different level of complexity and intrigue really i completely agree and that's why i also put it as my expansion for small box games it really is extremely well done and hands down for me tiny epic galaxies is my favorite in the tiny epic series it is in my opinion the best one of those games yeah and beyond the black just makes it better Yep, And that's a lot to say from a game that's already probably one of my more played games in my entire collection. It's one that I play with people who are new. It's one that I play a lot of times when I just want to introduce someone who is already decently into these types of things to a more strategic kind of board game. Beyond the Black just adds like the captains, the exploration aspect, new different planets, and just a lot more things that you can do, especially in terms of like mitigating when you have a role that you're not too happy about. You know, it might not be very useful for you to get certain things in terms of the planets that you're going for or anything like that, but you can recruit a really cool captain. Right. Or do other things like that. So I think that it does a really great job with that, and I highly, highly recommend it. If you own Tiny Epic Galaxies, definitely you need to check out Beyond the Black. Absolutely. What about wish lists? What do you got for your wish list small box game? So for my wish list small box game, I'm going to put down Kanagawa. Pretty much, I, I love the theme of it. It's painting the most beautiful painting that you can. It's got like this really nice Japanese art style and everything like that. And you're just trying to do like the whole like gathering the paintings and all that kind of stuff and painting the nicest vista by the time the game is over. I don't know all too much about that, and I've been meaning to bring it to table. I just haven't gotten the chance. So uh, I've heard many, many good things from my friends who've played it. So I 
definitely recommend that one. All right. For my own sake, I'm actually going to go with Custom Heroes. This is a game that came out this year, obviously, that uses the card crafting system, similar to Mystic Veil, which, of course, we love so much, but in a very different way. And this is, to the best of my knowledge, the first game besides Mystic Veil to use that system. Yeah. And so I'm really intrigued to sort of give it a chance, see how exactly they use this system in, you know, whether it's the same basic functionality or whether it's sort of a a different expression of it and kind of unique aspects of what that system can do. Mm -hmm. Plus, I mean, the, the flavor of it is very, it's just fun. You know, it's very lighthearted. It's, it's superheroes and sort of manga esque animation style, sort of action comedy almost and it seems just like a really endearing fun game that also happens to have a really intriguing mechanic at the core of it yeah and i mean it's a lot of fun i know that one of the promos is literally a hot dog that you can make your hero hold because each of the cards is like making your hero hold something different um so you could have you know people with like guns and swords and then like one hero that's with a hot dog into their hand like running into battle so my weapon of choice You've you've got a uh, a bunch of really fun kind of humor in there for sure. Returning to our numbered lists, I highly suspect that we're going to have a repeat of last week and have the same number one. So you've heard Damn, us talk we're about so it. So predictable. <laughs> yeah, you've heard us talk about it. You've heard us rave about it. It's Fantasy Realms. Yeah, is our our number one small box gift game for 2017 Uh, i mean what is there to say it plays two to seven players so it's extremely versatile you can get basically the entire family or i mean my entire family i don't know what kind of family you guys are working with but you know a whole big number of people around the table there's a lot of strategy and a lot of depth to the game and there's always avenues to explore if you're returning to it there's new synergies to explore in the way that certain cards fit together, certain strategies that you can come up with. And even if you've figured everything out, there's still the satisfaction of trying to put together one of those sort of legendary combos, you know, activating a gem of order combo, activating a world tree combo. There's there's aspirational things that you want to try to aim for that are difficult to pull off. And so that really just ups the replayability of it. And everything I think about this game is well-designed from the artwork to the synergies and sort of the card texts themselves to the entire feel of the game and the entire sort of core mechanic of rotating cards in and out of your hand, you know, almost gin rummy style again, to sort of go back to the fundamentals of gaming. You know, it takes this, this very simple mechanic of pick up and put down a card and turns it into, you know, every single one of these 50 cards, 53 cards is completely unique. Yep. And and it's just such a delight to play. I completely agree. I mean, Greg said pretty much everything about it already. It is really well done. A very interesting game itself. The theme is fun. The artwork is good. And it's easy enough to teach really quickly. It's one of those games that you can learn it in five minutes, but it takes a long time to actually master it because you're like always seeing like cards like, wait a minute, I didn't realize that this and this went together or, you know, I wonder how I could do it this or like if I could use the a land strategy this time if I have this, this and this. And I think it's just a lot of fun to play. And 
I've played a ton of games of it already. It's actually probably one of the games that I've played the most consistently since it came out. Right. And I think Bruce did a really, really great job on the game. And I was very glad to pick it up. And I think that uh, if you have someone who likes any of these types of things, like whether it's you know, set collection and like trying to get that like kind of engine going or that like, you know, the, those synergies in your hand, it's awesome. And it's quick. So it's a very quick game played in about 20, 30 minutes. Definitely a lot of fun. And I highly recommend it as a small box gift. As do I. And now let's expand our expansion section and take a look at two other expansions and one wish expansion that both of us would like. So uh, let's start with number two for you, Greg. Yeah, well, mine actually weren't in any particular order, but number two, I suppose I'll say Hellas and Elysium. This is the expansion that came out for Terraforming Mars, which anyone who's heard me talk knows that I adore Terraforming Mars, so this should really come as no surprise Hellas and Elysium was essentially just a map pack. It was a two-sided board that allows you to play on the other east-west hemisphere of Mars and also the southern hemisphere of Mars. So fundamentally, there are no changes to the game mechanics. The only thing that's different are the specific tiles that are in play and really very importantly, the milestones and awards, which are available. And these are game changers, literally. 100%. Yeah. Just the fact that there are different targets that you're aiming for means that certain strategies instantaneously become more powerful and more viable, really, than they were on previous maps. I know Jacob has talked before about how he likes to go for a very card-focused strategy as opposed to a building-heavy strategy, and it historically hasn't paid off. And the map packs change the arithmetic around that oh yeah totally it's definitely a very very good expansion as small as it is as simple as it is just changing those few things and adding two new maps has honestly put the game up a bit on my actual list and your number two my number two is betrayal at the house on the hills widow walk so this is an expansion to Betrayal of the House on the Hill. Go figure. Which, of course, is a hilariously amazing game just about being pretty much in a B-movie. And, of course, some B-movies have come out since the original Betrayal of the House on the Hill. So we should add a few plots. And that's pretty much what Widow's Walk did. Uh, it added some omens. It added a whole bunch of new haunts. And even though it didn't add too many mechanics in terms of brand new things going into the game. I think it really did add more replayability and like just a refresh of the game a little bit. So if you like Betrayal of the House on the Hill, Widow's Walk is a great, great addition. So I highly recommend it to just check it out if you have anyone who likes Betrayal of the House on the Hill. That would be a great expansion gift for them. Yeah, and just the sheer amount of content that it adds, I think, is just so impressive. You know, the original Betrayal at the House on the Hill already has, what, like 80-plus scenarios? Something like that. It's, and this, it's got a lot. And this adds, like, 60 more. It's it's really yeah. just huge addition to the game, and I think a lot of fun in much the same way that the original was. Yep. And now, Greg, let's prove that we are the same person once again. Yeah, the number one, or I suppose number two expansion, because we covered our number one expansion last week, is Veil of the Wild. 
Yep. This is an amazing addition to one of our favorite games, Mystic Veil. It isn't quite on the same level as Cities in terms of just the sheer amount of gameplay changes that it makes to its base game, but nevertheless, it includes some really, really important additions. The addition really specifically of heroes, I believe they're called, yeah. le- leaders. Leaders, I believe. That are, you know, very unique, singular, extremely powerful cards that take the place of one of your base cards, one of your blank cards. And because you start with them in your deck, they really change your strategy right from the outset. You know, you're you're dealt two, you get to choose one, and it's not entirely, you know, a path dependency situation. You can always build around a different strategy, but they definitely push you in a certain direction. You know, if you get one who gives you points for every, I don't know, decay symbol currently in your field, you're probably going to go for a pretty decay slash growth heavy deck. If you get someone yep. who does something completely different, you're probably going to do that. So leaders change the game in really huge ways. Yeah, I think that it was the most dramatic change out of any of the Mystic Veil expansions. Yeah. Like just adding leaders, because the first expansion added Eclipse cards, which uh, I think was the Veil of Magic. They're really cool. They added more mechanics. It was was a lot of fun. And the newest one, Mana Storm, it added more leaders as well as some changes to the actual tokens that you use Mm -hmm. for for the mana regen or like that one extra little mana piece that that changed its effect. But I think the biggest addition is really the leaders. And if you're going to get any expansion to Mystic Veil... I think that Veil of the Wild is definitely the one to go for. Exactly. Any expansion period, much less expansion that came out this year, if you or if you've got a friend who has Mystic Veil, this makes a a perfect gift. Completely agreed. And now we haven't gotten to play all the expansions, so we both have uh, expansions that we would love to play. Yep. So Greg, why don't you go ahead and tell us yours? Sure. So my expansion that I would really love to get to play is actually an expansion for Time Stories, which Mm -hmm. is kind of an expansion. At this point, you could probably just call it a story, um, an add-on. Lumen Fide is one of the story packs that came out this year. It centers around the Spanish Inquisition, which is just a a really interesting avenue to explore, I think, both from a historical perspective, since it's not a period of history that the game has covered yet, and also sort of a, a... diplomatic political opportunity you know there's there's always shifting skills and shifting yeah. scenarios with the time stories expansion packs but i think this one is a really good opportunity for some non-combat you know uh talk your way out of situations or intrigue your way into situations as like, opposed to just shoot shoot smash smash exactly Exactly. It sounds like a really interesting one, so I'm looking forward to that one as well. But my expansion that's on my wish list in terms of really wanting to play is actually Scythe the Wind Gambit. And Surprising no one. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, you take Scythe and you add steampunk or diesel punk or whatever punk this is, airships to it that fly around. They give you both passive and active bonuses in the game and... I think that it'll just change the whole traversal mechanic in the entire game as it is. And I'm just really looking forward to seeing how this works. It is the second out of three expansions to Scythe. There's one more coming next year. Ooh. 
I think it's going to be fully announced on January 1st, according to the, the release that uh, Jamie Stegmaier put out today. And I think based on the teaser that he put out, it's going to have like these really tall kind of like mech walker kind of things. Okay. But that's just a complete guess. What is important though, is that the wind gambit came out this past week and it is going to be a blast. I think it's going to change the game in really, really interesting ways and just make it a lot of fun to like explore and to see how else you can actually play the game. So I'm very much looking forward to playing that and seeing just how it does change the game. Yeah, and I'll be right there with you piloting some airships and hopefully not getting blowed up. Yep, there we go. Well, thank you for joining us. That has been our look at the gift-giving situation for 2017 small games and an expansion of expansions. Hopefully you got some good tips for either you know a gamer in your life or yourself if you're in a position to give yourself some gifts. Let us know. Or ask for them for that matter. Or ask for them. There you go. As always, let us know if you felt we were missing something, if there was a small game that you really feel like should have been represented on our list and wasn't, or if you think we maybe rated a game too highly, please let us know in the comments. Uh, we love to hear from you all, and hopefully next year, or maybe we'll uh, we'll issue a addendum to our episode. We'll see. There we go. There we go. Yeah. So thanks for joining us again. Thank you all for tuning in to this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. Be sure to tune in this week on Wednesday for our weekly live stream. And join us for our continuation of the month of specials with our look back at the best board gaming moments that we've had in 2017.